I said last week that I was going to begin sort of a, I can't really say a series on the, the book of Psalms because there's 150 of them. And, uh, you know, you say in the South, we like to say till the cows come home. The cows will be dead by the time we get through 150 Psalms. But uh, I wanted just to skip through the Psalms uh, for a while and just see where we wind up. And so last week we began at Psalm 1 and dealt with that. Um, and I think we called it life according to God's design. Um, by the way, for those of you who care, if you don't care, that's okay. Um, we, we've always had podcasts. We've always had podcasts available for whomever stands in the pulpit here uh, that you can download to your phone and listen to the audio. That is still true. You can still get a CD if you want a CD of a message both now or any time in the past. Uh, of course, now we have the added bonus that you can go to our YouTube channel and watch any of the messages that have been done since we started recording them. And for those of you who are gluttonous enough to watch the midweek video that we've been sending out, uh, those are there as well. You can go back and watch them, or if you missed one, you can go back and watch it. Um, but I've entitled today, What is Man?, as I began to prepare for this message, I found out that I have done a message by that title here before, and I didn't remember it. And so I just pulled out those notes, and we're going to just redo that sermon. No, you can't. I can't do that. I've heard, I've heard of preachers that do that. They go through their file and pull something out. But anyway, it's the same title. It's similar content, but not the same. I'm going to ask you in a moment to turn to Psalm 8 uh, and, and read along with me. Uh, and then I'm going, to get, I'm going to do something I don't do a lot, but later on I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah 40. And then before we're done, I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews 2. and Because these are verses I want you to see, not just hear me read them to you. Today we want to look at Psalm 8 and compare the magnitude and the greatness of God with the relative smallness of physical mankind. We're going to, we're talking comparisons now. Compare the magnitude and the greatness of God with the relative smallness of physical mankind. How many of you believe we need a fresh dose of the greatness of God? And I don't just mean the greatness in the sense of all the great things he does. We need that too. But the greatness of God, the magnitude of who God is. You've heard me say many times that 50 years ago or so, I don't know, J.B. Phillips, who has a great Bible translation, if you want to paraphrase, uh, wrote a book. And his book is entitled, Your God is Too Small. And I think we deal with that today. Our God is too small. We have reduced him in favor of ourselves. And while we're going to compare the magnitude and greatness of God to the smallness of mankind, we're also going to see in this psalm that mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. Mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. Now, I'm going to say it again later, but let me just hasten to put in right here. 
I'm not inferring, and please don't leave here and say, Pastor Larry said we're equal with God. No. And I know there's a verse that says we're little God, we're gods with a little G. But the people who usually quote that verse, they say little G, but they're thinking big G in their head. But we are, you are, the pinnacle of God's creation. Let's think about that. And so what we want to do by looking at this psalm is to keep the proper perspective. Keep the proper perspective. Uh, So this does not include, listen saints, this does not include, nor does it involve, a reducing of mankind to being a useless worm. You hear that? We are the pinnacle of creation. We are not God. And we, we can't do anything without God. But we're not talking about reducing mankind to just being a useless blob. <laughs> and you hear too much of that. We're talking about looking at God in reality. So, Psalm 8. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. I hope you're okay with that. Nine verses. If, if you would stand with me while we read the scriptures, and I'm reading once again from the English Standard Version, and it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. And you have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You can be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your anointing today. We need your anointing to enable me to speak the words that you want me to speak, to speak the words of life that you have purposed. We also need an anointing today for all of us to be able to hear but not just hear the words that I'm saying, but to hear the words of your Holy Spirit. And as always, Lord God, I pray that you would say more than I'm saying. You would be louder than me. That every one of us in this room and those watching online would sense the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and ministering to us. Let your word come alive, Lord Jesus. And I pray in your name. Amen. He starts off with... A Sandy Patty song. Any of you remember hearing her sing, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Oh Lord. It's interesting that David uses the word our. He's speaking for all of us when he says, Oh Lord, our Lord. And we pointed out Wednesday night in our home group that when Jesus began to instruct us how to approach God's throne, the first word he spoke was our Father, we're all we're all part of a family, and we all have the same father, and and we're we have the same God, our God, O oh Lord, our God, and then he says, 
Uh, and I'm going to give you the sort of the Hebrew here so we see it a little better. He says, Oh, Yahweh. There's two words there. When it says in, in this version, O Lord, our Lord, the two words Lord are two different Hebrew words. The first one is Yahweh, which is God's name. Of course, the, the Jewish people would not pronounce it. Let me see if I can say this right. Tetragrammation is a word that has no vowels. And so they would, they would not pronounce God's name. They would uh, spell it Y-H-W-H. Yahweh, God's name. But then he says, O Yahweh, our Adonai, which is his title or his description of who he is. So he says, O Yahweh, our Adonai, or O Yahweh, our sovereign. O Yahweh, our sovereign Lord. I want you, if you, if you, if we stopped right now, you'd have enough. Because I want you to leave here today with a magnanimous view of God. You see, when you deal with stuff, when you deal with issues, when you read the news, when you look at your checkbook and it's laughing at you, you need something or somebody to be bigger than that. If your God's not bigger than that, you got to get a better God. you got to get the God of the Bible. He's the rightful ruler. He's the king. He's the master. He is also, he's the master of himself and all others. This is the God we're talking about. And David begins this psalm. It's a song, by the way. I don't know if BMI or ASCAP had rights to it. But anyway, he, he begins the song by telling us our great God, our great sovereign Lord. He's the king. He's the proprietor of all. How excellent. Some of your versions will say how excellent is your name. What comes to your mind when you hear a name? Let me give you two. What comes to your mind when you hear the name Adolf Hitler? Yeah, see there? That's, that's, the, a name means something. What comes to your mind when I say the name Mother Teresa? Complete opposite from what you just thought about Adolf Hitler. Names mean things. God's name means something. How excellent is God's name? What is attached to God's name? What is attached to the name of God when we hear his name? What description does the hearing of his name conjure up in your mind? What do you think about when you hear God? And this is where we need to... Uh, maybe adjust our thinking, some of us, and make sure it aligns with God's Word. The, the word that David used there for name was the word shim. And uh, no, that's not the third stooge or the fourth stooge. Uh, my jokes have got to get younger because <laughs> shimp was the other stooge. But anyway, that's another story for another day. You thought I only watched the Andy Griffith show, didn't you? <laughs> it talks about a person that was named because of something that identified them. That's what that word means. It's a name that carries with it a definition that we're named. The name speaks of our identification. The name of Yahweh carries with it certain characteristics. 
that we think of when we hear his name. And the Bible's full of these characteristics, but we won't take the time to touch on all of them. But let me just give you a few. His name, when we hear his name, it the characteristics that it carries with it, first of all, he, he is merciful or full of mercy. He is full of grace. We love this next one. He's slow to anger. Now, let me just point out, he didn't say he never gets angry. Years ago, I was in a meeting. Years ago, I was in a meeting. Brother Charles Simpson was speaking. And he said something, and his, and his message was kind of this content. But he looked at us, and he said, when God gets angry and we don't, it's a sin. He's slow to anger. James repeats that. He's abounding in covenantal love. He's abounding in faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. He's keeping steadfast love for thousands. And that's, that doesn't mean that once he gets to a number of a thousands that he stops. It means that it's ad infinitum. And he's forgiving. The great thing about these characteristics of God is they, they came from God's own mouth. They can't, they're recorded in Exodus 34 where God said, here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to tell you who I am. The Lord is, the Lord is his name, speaking as if he's in the third person. And then he begins to proclaim what his name communicates to us and he gives us these characteristics. When you think of God's name, I want you to think of these. Now, we often think of God, okay, he's, he's mean, he's mad, he's, uh, he's ticked, and he's ready to crush us. And the reason we think of that sometimes is because we've had too many preachers telling us that. Now, let me just tell you something. If you get into a sinful situation, God will judge you. You got quiet there. God will judge your sin. Why does God judge your sin? Because he's offended and he's insecure. No, that's not it at all. It's because he loves you. Let me just give you this. Many of you heard me say this. God's judgment is always intended to bring us back. It's never intended to eliminate us. But it's, it's intended to adjust our life. These are the characteristics. He said, he said, David said, you have set your glory above the heavens. Set your glory. And it's interesting. There's two words for glory in this psalm. This one is a word that means splendor and majesty. I, I got to confess to you. I don't see exactly what David was trying to say, but I'm glad that his glory is set above the heavens. I guess part of it is that if I want to turn my attention to the heavens and worship, I need to go a little higher and worship his glory. He says something. He says, out from the mouth of babes and little children, your strength is established. Out from the weak. In other words, God doesn't need strong people. To proclaim who he is. And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean weaklings. 
Do y'all understand that the word meekness is not weakness? I know. Meekness is is not weakness. Meekness is strength under discipline. Strength under discipline. And so when, when God says that he uses the weak, he means those who've gotten themselves out of the way. Those who have moved themselves out of the way. And he says God's strength is established in light or in view of God's enemies. And he does that to silence and avenge them, avenge his enemies. David moves to an interesting statement, and we call it David watching the heavens. He said uh, in verse uh, 3, I think, yeah, when I look at your heavens, think about the fact that David is sitting out in the pasture tending his father's flock at night. And he's sitting there by himself with the sheep, and he's looking up into the heavens, and, and there was no smog then. There was no smog. There was no haze. There was a clear view of heavens. And he's looking at the heavens, and he's writing this psalm. I'm pretty convinced he wrote this psalm at nighttime. And the reason I think that is because he didn't mention the sun in his psalm. David's watching the heavens and he said, when I consider or when I look upon or when I, when I think about, when I gaze upon your heavens, he said, and the work of your fingers, it's the finger of God that does the work. When I look up the heavens and I consider the work of your fingers and, and I consider the moon and the stars, that's what he saw. He saw the moon and the stars. When I consider the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Think about that. Moon, stars. He might have, he might have been able to observe a, a, a shooting star. Who knows? Maybe even at that time you could make out constellations. Maybe he saw the Big Dipper or the Little Dipper. I don't know. He was so taken by what he saw, he said, what is man? In the light of all of that, in the light of all of that, in the grandeur of everything that I see, what is, what is man? What is a mortal? What is man that you are mindful of him? We'll come back to that. Albert Barnes in his commentary says it this way, What claim has one so weak and frail and short-lived to be remembered by time? What is there in man that entitles him to so much notice? Why has God conferred on him so signal honor? Why has he placed him over the works of his hands? Why has he made so many arrangements for his comfort? Why has he done so much to save him? He is so insignificant. His life is so much like a vapor. He so soon disappears. He is so sinful and polluted that the question may well be asked why such honor has been conferred on him and why such a dominion over the world has been given him. And I'll just point out, if you happen to have the Albert Barnes commentary and you read this, he never answers the questions because we're still trying to answer it today. Why? Why? What, what is man? Well, why would God confer all of this on us, human beings, 
As a race of people, we have rejected him. Scripture describes us before we come to Christ as enemies of God. What is man that you would be mindful of him? What is man that you would think about him? What is man, he says, that you that you would care for him? Son of man, that you would care for him. Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Did you hear that? Somebody this morning needed to hear that. Cast all of your care, those things that concern you and you lay awake at night thinking about, those things that occupy your attention, that are are stressful to you. Cast all of that on him because he cares for you. Now, I know we got married couples and families sitting here, but I'm not talking about the person sitting beside you. I'm talking about you. God cares for you. David recognized that. He's writing this psalm. God cares for you. He's still wondering what's going on here. And the fact is, David will never get to a complete solution of his question, a complete answer to his question. The theological workbook of the Old Testament says that this word cares for the basic meaning is to exercise oversight over a subordinate, either in the form of inspection or of taking action to cause a considerable change in the conditions of the subordinate, either for the better or for the worse. God cares for you, and what that means is he's involved in your life. He's not just sitting in heaven saying, I sure care for those folks down there. Just like you're not, if those of you have small children, you don't look at your children walking out into the street and say, well, I sure do care for my child. <laughs> you don't do that. You run, go get them. And if they need to be adjusted, you, you have varying ways of adjusting them. Why? Because you care. Caring for a child does not mean that you let them do everything they want to do. My parents cared for me. I can guarantee you they didn't let me do everything I wanted to do. I avoided a lot of issues. When I look back on my life, I avoided so many. I started to name a few, but I'm just going to leave that alone. I avoided so many bad situations. because Let me just say this. I had a date set up with a woman one night. I didn't set it up. Somebody else did. I was 15 years old. Lost as lost ever was. I worked at a gas station. Drove my, I had a motorcycle. And he, this guy that I know set up a date with this woman. And when I say woman, she had three kids. And I'm 15 years old. I'm full of testosterone and Full of beans. I don't mean bentos. And I'm, oh boy, when I get off work at 10 o'clock. And about a quarter to 10, my daddy pulls up in the parking lot of the gas station. 
and I look over there and I see the Plymouth that he drove at the time and it pulled over and he just sat there and I thought, well, what in the world is he up to? I have no idea. So I go over to him and I said, well, what's up? He said, I'm just here to make sure you get home. As God is my witness to this day, I have no idea how he knew what was happening. But thank God he pulled into that parking lot and I went home. And I avoided catastrophe. I don't know where that came from. I don't know who needed that. And I I don't like being that transparent. But if I get any more transparent, I won't even be here. David is trying to communicate to us there is unique value in human beings. Again, we're not God. We're not equal with God. But there's unique value in human beings. Why else is there a John 3.16? Why else would there be a John 3.16 unless there is unique value in human beings? Why would Jesus leave heaven and come to earth and be born as a baby and grow up to become our savior who died on a cross and suffered for us, went to the grave, was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven and and sits on the throne of God to the right hand of the father interceding for us. Why is all of that happening except that there's unique value in humanity and the value is not, does not come from what we offer. Well, yeah, we got value. I'm a pretty good old boy. Why do bad things happen to good people? I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers answer this. It's the best answer I've ever heard. Why do bad things happen to good people? Dr. Rogers said, there are no good people. <laughs> the Bible says there is none. Everybody say none. none. I hadn't had you do that all morning. There is none righteous no, not one. Unique value. Then he says, you have made him a little lower, just a little lower than the angels, than the heavenly beings, just a little lower. And you crowned him with glory and honor, majesty, splendor. It's almost an adornment. Uh, and the glory there is the, another word that means to, means substantial. Or to have weightiness. It means to have some substance to your life. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible has a note that says the biblical view of man is higher and more worth affirming than any of the alternate views. In this reference, God has actually crowned man with splendor, watch this, in spite of his smallness relative to the vast heavens. God has crowned us with his adornment as humanity. And then it says he gave, he gave us, gave mankind dominion over his works. Here's where the rub comes. When we hear the word dominion, sometimes we go to that place where we think God has made us equal with him. Let me just say this. Dominion over his works, and I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again, does not make us God. Does not make us God. It makes us 
his vice regents stewarding creation on his behalf. He tells Adam and Eve here, I'm putting you in the garden. I want you to replenish the earth, multiply and replenish the earth. And you have authority over all the animals, over all the plants. It's all yours. What is he saying to Adam and Eve? Govern this, rule this on my behalf. Of course, we know what happened. Adam abdicated his place. He forfeited that place. You've heard me say recently when that forfeit took place, some people believe God turned it over to Satan. But I want to tell you that Psalm 24 has always said and still says the earth is the Lord's. It didn't say the earth is, it was the Lord's until, no, it says the earth is the Lord's and everything, everything that is in it, everything. I heard the late Ern Baxter say one time, what happened was God took that authority that he had given to Adam and he put it in his pocket. And then there came one day when one came along who was worthy for him to pull that back out. And here we go. You know what his name is? Jesus, our Lord. We are his kingdom representatives in the earth. Paul really gives us a great summation of that right here. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Did you know you were the ambassador of Christ? In the earth. God making his appeal, as it were, through us. We have a mission in the earth to be the ambassadors of Christ. I asked you earlier to turn to Hebrews 2. I also asked you to turn to Isaiah 40. We'll come back to that maybe before I'm done. But Hebrews 2, the reason I want to show you this is the writer of Hebrews quotes what we just read. It says, verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, the uniqueness of human beings. It was not to angels of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. I love how the writer of Hebrews doesn't identify that it's Psalm 8. He just says it's been it's written down somewhere. You know why I love that? Because that's what we do. People get up and say, there's a verse somewhere in the Bible. I don't know where it is, but this is what it says. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that scripture memorization is great, but if you know what the scripture says, I'd rather that than you know where it is. He says, there's somewhere it was written, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, Listen to this or watch this. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, to, to mankind. But watch these next ones. I, I don't know what version this is in. Probably the New King James. It says, but we see Jesus. There used to be a song. We, but we see Jesus. It's not yet. But we see Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying what I just said a few moments ago. Jesus comes along. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's perfect. And he assumes the rightful place of rulership over the earth. He, he is the, the Daniel tells us that he is given a kingdom. 
Jesus comes along and he retains, re, regains that governorship that God gave Adam and Adam forfeited. Now Jesus Christ, the man, the son of man, has that authority, has that government. And you and I, when we're born again by the Spirit of God and we're transferred from one kingdom to the other, you and I are, are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And we assume his mission. And we're now his ambassadors. Just like if our president sent an ambassador to another country to represent the United States, Jesus Christ has sent you onto the terrestrial ball as his ambassadors to represent the kingdom of God in the earth. And then he says, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He tasted death for everyone so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8. And he restored to the rightful place of dominion humanity. Our governorship today, our, our ability to have dominion over the earth rests in Jesus Christ. And then we'll finish with what I call bookends. You probably noticed this when we were reading the psalm, but Psalm 8 verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth. Verse 9 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Bookends. Again, he's written, he's writing a song, and sometimes you songwriters do things like this. But he's writing a song, and he, and he, he ends with the same word that he begins with. How majestic. As I was as I was thinking about that and the fact that David really emphasized uh, the name of God, I, I thought of a song or a, a proverb, actually. Some years ago, one of the brothers put some music to that proverb. But it, in the Christian Standard Bible, it says this, The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. The name of God, the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh, is a strong tower. Why is it a strong tower? It's because we trust the character of God. We trust God's character. You have to trust God's character. You know, there's nothing else to trust. Strong tower. And maybe the Lord had a, a different plan, but I'm going to now finish by reading Isaiah 40. Listen to these words. You don't have to turn. I don't know how fast you can get back to that slide, William, just for the reference. He says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Who advises God? Whom did he consult 
And who made him understand? Talking about God. Who made God understand? Who taught God the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? These are all rhetorical questions with the same answer, nobody. Nobody. Why is its name a strong tower? Because he's the only one who could measure the waters in the hollow of his hand. He's the only one who could mark off the heavens with his, and so forth. And so he's the only one. He's the only one. What is man that God is mindful of man? Well, he's God's creation. He's God's handiwork. We are the pinnacle of his creation. And we have been, by the way, what does Pentecost have to do with that? I'll tell you what it has to do with that. How in the world could we ever accomplish the mission that he's given us to accomplish in the earth except that there was a Pentecost? Except that there was an Acts 1-8 that says, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be endued with power from on high. The word power in the Greek is really a better, the best translation in my is ability. Holy Spirit ability. You will be endued with ability from on high. You will be, you will receive a supernatural ability to accomplish. That's what Pentecost means so much to us today. I don't know how in the world we do what God's called us to do without a supernatural endowment, endowment of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how we do what we do today except we have a power that's outside of ourselves that we can draw on his ability and not mine. Thank God for Pentecost. Thank God for Psalm 8. Thank God for God, O oh Lord, our Lord. How majestic is his name? Stand with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the writing of your servant, David. That you anointed him. We believe that we believe that your Holy Spirit directed him to write this psalm. To write it the way he did it. We thank you that we start this psalm by seeing your greatness and your magnitude. We start by seeing, O Yahweh, our sovereign Lord, our Adonai. And then we discover that David would have as much wonderment as we would in wondering what what is man that you would be mindful of us and what is man that you would care for us. We still don't know all the answers to that question, Lord God, except that you made us and you put, you made us in your image. Thank you that you have joined us to yourself, that we're not just acquaintances, but we are friends. We are joined together by the spirit of God and that you have enabled us and called us to be your vice regents in the earth in association with the Lord Jesus sitting on the throne, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now to the best of our ability and availability, help us to extend that kingdom into the earth one person at a time. Thank you for this time together today, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would have spoken to each one of us 
as well as those worshiping with us at home via the, the Internet. As we go out of here, may we go out of here in your power as a, with a sense of uniqueness that comes from you. Thank you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. I'm not going to tell you I'm going to smack you today. I'll, you, you're grown folks.